We've asked you for the whole month of October to pray this prayer. God, give me the opportunity to be your church today. God, give me the opportunity to bless someone, to love someone, to speak truth into someone's life. I just want to tell you again, you've been the church to me today, and so I appreciate it. Um, today we're going to look at, oh, and don't stop, right? October's going to end, but don't stop praying that prayer. And just watch what God does with your life. Um, so today we're going we're gonna to wrap up our series called Restore University or Restore You. Um, we're going to look at what it would mean for your life to, to exemplify loving God, loving people, and loving the world, okay? And so um, I want to start by saying there are two types of, there's, there's two types of questions. There are questions that require answers. And then there are questions, every now and then you'll come across a question that will demand a response. I'm going to illustrate really quickly. It was like March or April, I don't remember the exact date, I probably should, I don't remember the exact date, but it was early March, it was 2008, and Aaron, uh, me, and her mom are sitting around the kitchen table. We weren't engaged at the time, we were, we were only dating and her mom sold jewelry. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, go to this house shows, and, and, uh, and you'll buy some jewelry, and you'll come home and be like, I know I wasn't supposed to buy anything, but you're not going to believe this deal they had, right? Uh, so so <laughs> my mother-in-law is the one that would suck you into those things, right? So we were polishing the jewelry to make it look shiny and nice, and uh, she had a show the next day. So here's the question that required an answer. What do you want to eat for dinner? It's an easy question, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I don't care. What do you want? Oh, I'm good for anything. All right, cool. I'm going to order pizza. I don't want pizza. It's like, well, I thought you just said you wanted anything. So the natural, uh, the natural thing to, for everybody late at night is we want Chinese food, okay? So her mom, so that's the question that required an answer, right? There's not really much, much action, especially in Chesapeake where, uh, you know, every Chinese place delivers to your house. Except for the one that we ordered from. So Aaron's mom uh, goes to get Chinese food. Aaron and I are polishing this jewelry. What Aaron doesn't know is that the ring that she picked out a few months ago for an engagement ring was sitting in one of these jewelry boxes on the bottom of this box that we're, we're pulling jewelry from. And so as she's pulling jewelry, she's like trying on the earrings. She's like, Does, don't these look so nice? I'm like, yeah, they look great. My heart is pounding. Right? I'm like, yeah, those earrings look great. She's like, what about this necklace? I'm like, just stop putting those on. Just get to the bottom of the box. Right? And she's like trying on these rings, and her mom's slow playing it at the, at the um, Chinese place. So finally, like, y'all, it took forever. Finally, she pulls out the, the last box. And she pulls it out, and it's like completely different than everything else. But she puts it on, just like everything else, and she's like, wow, this is so pretty. It fits my finger. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> it fits my finger. And she's like, Roger, this looks just like the ring you. And she looked at me. And she's like, Roger Burns, are you? And so then I asked the question that demanded a response. Did we tell your mom to pick up duck sauce or what? <laughs> I asked I, I asked the question, will you marry me, right? I mean, that's a question that demands a response from her. You can't just say yes and then not put any action behind that. 
both for the person answering the question and for the person asking the question. Right? I mean, the response from then, from that point on, is, is servanthood to one another. It's an unconditional love to each other. It's forgiveness and truth and patience and hope. Um, I, I really think that marriage is like a picture of God's love for us all in one package. And it's a response. It's not just a, yeah, I'll have sesame chicken, right? It's, it's a response. And so this morning we're going to look at where Jesus has two questions. He asks a question that is it that requires an answer, and then he asks a question that requires a response, response. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 16. If you need a Bible this morning, uh, we got some, I can't see because lights, um, Elizabeth and Dory, who are passing out Bibles. So if you need one, just raise your hand, and they will, they'll give you one. Hey, you can follow along with the sermon on the YouVersion Bible app. If you download it, you can, and live, you can see all of, uh, or you search live events, you'll see Restore Church. If you have the Restore Church app, you can click Bulletin, and it's right there. Or you can click the word Bible, and it should take you to the Version app. And again, you can follow there. Or you can follow along on the screens, but you can't take the screens home with you. And so if you're going to dive into God's Word regularly, you need their mobile Bible or the real thing, the book. Yeah, the hard, hardback, whatever. Okay, so here, here we go. Everybody there? Everybody in Matthew chapter 16? Just uh, say um, amen if you're there. Amen. All right. I don't know if the rest of y'all got it, but the front rows got it. So <laughs> Jesus says, it, uh, Matthew records it like this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He writes in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asks his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So Jesus is in this moment where he's got his disciples, his 12 disciples around him, his best friends, right? And, and he asks this question, um, who is, who do they say the Son of Man is? Now, we need to pause for a second from our 21st century knowledge of who Jesus is. We know because of the rest of the New Testament that Jesus, a title of Jesus is the Son of Man. That wasn't necessarily what the disciples were thinking, and it's not necessarily what Jesus is asking. There's this Old Testament figure that is talked about in Daniel and in Zechariah and in a few other prophets, and talks about the coming of the Son of Man. This question isn't a new question, and Jesus isn't necessarily asking, who do they say, you know, like if I were with, uh, I don't know, a group of people, and I said, who do they say Roger is? You know, I mean, that's kind of like, there's not been this long debated question about who Roger is. I'm asking about myself in the third person. That's not necessarily what Jesus is doing when he asks this question. It could be, but it's not necessarily what he's asking. He could be, and probably is, just asking, who do they say the Son of Man is? As a way to maybe start getting them to think in, in, in this teaching mode. The Son of Man, coming from the Old Testament, and there are 
books that, uh, there are books that some, some denominations uh, choose to be as inspired word. It's the Apocrypha. Uh, if you come from a Catholic background, those are normal to you. Um, we don't see them. Most, um, evangel- most Protestant churches don't see the Apocrypha as inspired words of God, and, and neither do we. However, we can use them for history. And some books of the Apocrypha show that Jewish ideology thought that the person, this Son of Man, would come back in the embodiment, or would come back in a new person, but the embodiment in the spirit of a prophet. And so, when Jesus says, who do they say the Son of Man is, the disciples say, Some say John the Baptist, a prophet. Some say Elijah, a prophet. Some say Jeremiah, which is a prophet, or one of the prophets, which are prophets. It was debated, and it still is debated. Is Jesus talking about himself in the third person? He doesn't do regularly. Jesus is going to ask a question. He usually does it in the first person, which is going to happen in a second. Is Jesus talking about this Old Testament figure, or is he like alluding to that he is the Son of Man? It, maybe, it's, maybe it's both. But we know from, again, our 21st century step-back look at the New Testament, the 10,000-foot view, that the Son of Man and Jesus are one and the same. It's interesting to me that the disciples... Um, or it's, it's interesting to me that Jesus asks his disciples as if he himself didn't know. I mean, if he's asking about the Old Testament figure, Son of Man, he knows the Jewish debate. He's been a part of them. If he's asking, who do they say that I am, like this third person question about himself, uh, don't you think he would know what other people say about him? I mean, he's been with his disciples. He knows, he's trying to get his disciples to get down this line of thinking. There are these comparisons between the disciples and Jesus, aren't there? Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Elijah, and Jesus. They believed boldly in in what they preached. And not only did they believe boldly, they spoke boldly. They all confronted the religious system. They all confronted the political system of injustice. All of them were persecuted. They were all persecuted because of what they spoke about and what they did. However, here's a quote that I have on the screen um, from Mark Moore, and he says this, to rank Jesus with the greatest teachers or most profound prophet is to damn him with faint praise. And so, question, and they say, sorry about this. When they ask the question and they say, uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, or some prophet, it's somewhat of an insult to Jesus, who's not only the Son of Man, but is also the Son of God. And with the pause, you can kind of see, like, the disciples, Jesus asks a question, Jesus knows the answer to, and the disciples are like, you can kind of hear them, maybe like, um, y'all know where this is going? <laughs> What's he trying to do here? Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Some say John the Baptist. And others still, they say one of the other prophets. And they're looking at each other like, 
uh-oh, <laughs> it's, okay, this is one of those things. And so there's like this pause of anticipation, and Jesus turns to his disciples, and he asks a question that we all have to answer. So there's the question that requires an answer. Who's the son of man? But then Jesus asks a question that requires a response. Check it out. Verse 15. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Here's a question that holds the weight of the rest of Peter's life, but also holds the rest of the weight of the rest of your life. Peter, in this moment of brilliance that Jesus will recognize in just a second, says that Jesus is the Christ. Now, you know, we use Christ, well, some people use Christ now as a cuss word, right? <laughs> um, but at this moment, it's, it holds I mean, it holds so much weight. Christ is the equivalent of the Old Testament Messiah. The Messiah was the appointed one or the anointed one that God's going to send. And so when, when Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, and he's recognizing, dude, all of creation has pointed to you. You are God's plan for salvation. You are God's plan for restoration. You are the anointed one. It's, uh, it's pretty cool because being anointed in the Old Testament, right? So uh, the anointed one coming from the Old Testament, that's the phrase Messiah. And so Peter recognizes that now, right? And so when someone was anointed in the Old Testament, it was usually reserved, usually reserved for prophets priests, and kings. Three descriptions of who Jesus is. And so when we're calling Jesus our Christ, our Messiah, our anointed one, we are saying you are our high priest, you are our forever prophet, and you are our king. But what is so unfortunate is that we as Christians... We often, um, we as Christians, we'll, we'll gladly accept Jesus as prophet, our teacher. We gladly will accept him as our priest or our high, our high priest as our sacrifice. But man, we reject his majesty and his reign as king in our life. As the one to call our shots, as the one to guide our path. And Mark Moore, he says, we're simply, not get, we're simply not giving the option of selecting one or two out of the three. It's all or nothing. This question, who do you say that Jesus is, it demands a response. And it's a question that we all have to, we all have to answer. Have you ever spent time trying to answer this question? Like, who do you say that Jesus is? And maybe you've thought about the question, but have you really thought about the weight of your answer? Like, for some of us, Jesus is just a feel-good story. Like, it's a great story. It's a story of a comeback. It's a story of the underdog. It's a story, and it, it's, a, it's a great, 
story, and it makes us feel good. And so maybe that's who Jesus is to you. On some real reflection, is that who Jesus is to you just to make you feel good? Maybe he's a box checked off of your morality checklist, right? You just, church makes you a good person, and so going and, uh, and singing some songs is that boost of morality for you, make you feel better about whatever. Maybe some of you are just still living off a childhood requirement, right? It's just our family's always going to church, and so that's what we do. Um, and so you're, you're just trying to keep mom and dad happy, right? Maybe, I don't know. Or, or maybe Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe Jesus is the central figure of history who changes the world in a matter of a weekend. Right on Friday, he walks into a grave, and on Sunday, he walks out, leaving death in his grave. Maybe he is the one that the world is looking to. Maybe he is our Messiah. Maybe he is our Lord. Maybe he is our King. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the one who took away the sin of the world. Jesus is the great I am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Holy One of God. Jesus is our Savior. He is the Messiah. What would happen if that were your answer to this question? What would change in your life if when asked this question of who do you say Jesus is, you replied back with, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. If you come to the realization that God is... God sent Jesus into, into the world to be the word, right, to be the fulfillment of, of the Old Testament. If you believe that God sent Jesus to be the, the Messiah and you accept him as just that, then not only does the question require response, but it's a life-altering response. There are just some things now that don't fit in your life. There are now just some people who don't fit in your life. There are some things and big steps that you're going to have to take, right? Once you claim Jesus as the Messiah, you're going to have to forgive some people, and that's hard. You have to love people that don't love you back. For some of us, it's a career change. For some of us, it's planting a new church. Anybody? Yet? No? Man, I'm working hard, yeah. I'm trying to get a church planted today. <laughs> Not only does it demand a response from the person asked or person answering, but watch Jesus' response to Peter. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Listen, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. I mean, Jesus is like spitting it right back at him. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. 
and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Y'all get pumped up about this part. And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Some of y'all are like, Hades, yeah. That's how I am right now. You can say that because it's in the Bible. I'm a little uncomfortable if you said the other part. But Hades, yeah, works, okay? I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Messiah. We don't have time to unpack that last verse. Just suffice it to say, it's not his time yet. All right, it's not time. And if the disciples went out and started preaching about Jesus being the Messiah, they probably would have killed him before he was able to fulfill what God had planned for him. But Peter's response gets this, like it evokes this response out of Jesus. If you were to keep reading Matthew chapter 16, so, Jesus, so Peter has this response, right? This, uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you keep reading Matthew 16, you'll like fall out of love with Peter. Because just a few minutes later, Jesus is like, I'm just going to tell you, y'all, I'm going to go to the cross and die. And Peter's like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't just come in here, start a friendship with me, and then leap, die on the cross. Jesus turns around and he says, get behind me, Satan. In one verse, he's blessed. and the other verse, he's Satan. Y'all, I feel like Peter sometimes. Anybody else? Peter gets his response out of Jesus. Now, what's, what's really subtle right here, um, and we don't quite get it in our English Bibles, is Jesus' play on words. Jesus is really good with this. He probably could have been a rapper with his play on words here. Um, here's, I, I put it on the screen. The Greek word for Peter is Petros or Petros, depending on who taught you Greek. Um, and it's the masculine word for rock, right? It's just, you would just say, hey, look at that rock. Look at that Petros. Look at that Peter. Don't say, look at that Peter. Look at that Petros. <laughs> and then the Greek word, Petros, is the feminine version of rock, and it means huge rock. What's interesting in the Greek, so he says, you are Peter, this little rock. And on this little rock, I will build my church. On this rock, this Petros, I will build my church. It, it could say this. Do I have that up there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter, you are a little rock. But on the confession that you have, the confession you have made is great enough that I can build my church upon. Now, there, again, there are some denominations that believe that Peter himself is the rock, and there's been an apostolic succession all the way from the first century to, uh, to now. There are some denominations that literally believe that the church should be built on Peter, and so they have built a church where they believe that Peter's grave is. I don't think that Jesus is going to build his church on one person, and I don't think Peter does either. But yet Jesus builds his church on the statement that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, 
Peter believed the same. He actually says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to know him, he's writing a letter, and he says, As you come to know him, the living stone, talking about Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones. How about that play on words? You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to the holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Peter believed that Jesus was the rock. He was the cornerstone on which uh, he was the, the cornerstone on which the whole building is built. So Jesus, being the foundation of the church, is where the church is built on. It doesn't take you very long to be around here to hear the phrase, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. All right, here we go. I love this passage. I think every time I teach on this passage, I clap like that because I'm so excited about what's about to happen, okay? Look at what Jesus says again in uh, verses 17 and 18. He replies to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, which is another name for Peter, uh, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. All right, here we go. And I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, maybe your translation says hell, the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. Y'all, you should be jumping out of your seats. This is great. This is good stuff. When, uh, I don't know where I am in my notes, don't care. Um, in the f- gates by nature are defensive. In war, you don't put up a gate and then say, "All right, everyone inside the gate, let's charge them." Right? In war, you put you put up gates so that you can protect what's inside. So you can protect uh, the people living there. Like if you were at, at war in the first century. Um, you will put up gates to protect the valuables or, or, or what, what you had in your city. Who's got their gates up in this passage? Hades, hell, has their gates up. Who's got their gates up in the 21st century? The church or Hades? We do. And the church, I feel like the church, we're like inside our walls, inside our gates. And we're like, look, let's just huddle up, protect what's ours. We don't want to offend anybody, hurt anybody's feelings. And so we're just going to, you know, we'll put our gates up. Christ's church tears down the walls of hell. You catch that? The church is not a passive institution. The church is not supposed to be this like, Let's just sit back on our heels and let everything happen to us. We'll group, we'll like group and rally each week. And y'all, the church, this is the image of a war. 
Like this is an image of war happening and the gates of hell don't stand a chance against the church. Now let me tell you about the confrontation. Like, well, first of all, there's good news and there's bad news about this passage. The bad news first, always the bad news first. If someone says there's good news and bad news, just do the bad news first as a rule, okay? There you go. If you leave with anything, leave with that. Leave with more, but definitely leave with that. Um, The bad news is that there's a confrontation, right? The bad news is that those who claim Jesus as the Messiah, there's a confrontation that has to happen with the walls of hell. The good news, we know who wins. We know who wins the battle, the fight. We do. The church does. Here are the walls that I see as confrontation. Here's the walls that we, not only as individuals, but as a church, have to have to confront. As a church and as an institution, we will confront division, both outside of our community and inside these walls. Division has no place. As a church, we will take on hate head on. We will take on racism head on. We will take on injustice head on. We will take on um, malice and slander. We will take it head on. We, I'm afraid to say this, but I, I'm going to because I'm not really afraid. But I am afraid, but I'm not afraid. There's got to be confrontation. I said this before, and every time, y'all, every time I say this, something crazy happens. And our church, again, is in this young, fragile stage. I'm going to try to hurry up here. But um, I've said this, like, for two years. We're eight months old. I've been saying this about this church before it ever had a name, that we were going to come to Jacksonville, and we were going to wage war against Satan, and we would not back down. And every time I say that, Satan throws a huge punch, and we catch it, but we don't back down. We fight back. And in your life, we're going to fight against the spiritual strongholds, and we're going to do it together. Like, you're not in this alone. We do this together. We're going to fight against the spiritual strongholds of greed, of gossip, of pride, of sexual immorality, of hatred in your heart, of the inability to forgive. We're going to fight against the spiritual strongholds that are oppressing your life. And we're in this together. Y'all, we will attack the gates of hell. We will not step back. Every penny we have will we'll go to reach lost for Jesus. Are you ready? Back on it. Don't you want to be part of that? <laughs> like, I've got myself ready to run through a brick wall right now. I'm like back in high school, 18 years old, ready to Ready to play football. The mic went out. Yeah, we're not going to back down, man. We're going to get hurt. We're going to get bruised up. We'll get bloodied. Cry a little bit. But we know that we'll win. Because our king sits victorious. Because he is the Messiah. Here's what we fight with. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we will tear down the walls of death. And we will tear down the walls of hell.
And that's what, that's what gets me excited. That's what has me excited to be your pastor. That's what has me excited to get up every day, right, to know that it's worth it. And we're fighting down. I mean, we're tearing down the walls of hell. Next week when I switch, I'm going to preach the same passage. I'm going to preach this. Actually, every word you just heard, I'm going to say it. I might not say Hades, yeah. But I can only say that here. Um, but here's, here's what I am going to tell them. I'm going to tell them about the marriages. I want to tell them about the marriages that the Holy Spirit has brought back together. I'm going to tell him about the, how the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of so many people who have given their life to Jesus in the last uh, few months since we've, been, since we've launched. I'm going to tell him about people who have had a dead faith that are like, yo, I'm so alive and I don't know what to do about it. I'm going to tell them your, some of your names. Because what God is doing here in Jacksonville is he's tearing down walls. And I'm so glad to be a part of it. I hope you are too. I'm going to read this last paragraph um, just because I don't want to get it wrong. Here's what's going to happen. In the end, we will be victorious. The end. In the end, we will be victorious. We will love God relentlessly. We will love people recklessly. And we will love our world radically. To God be the glory. God, we love you. For once, we get to be on the winning team. And there are times where we don't feel it. There are times where it hurts. There are times where the score seems a little off kilter. But God, we know that in you... There's a fight that doesn't stop. There's this grit that just won't go away. Uh, and God, we love that we get to be a part of that. God, give us courage and strength and boldness as we charge the gates of hell. As we tear them down. God, we know that the fight's coming back. But God, let us link up together. Let us find our strength in, in, in one another in the Holy Spirit, and ultimately in the fact that you are the Messiah. God, our hope is in you. Our strength is in you. For the weak, let that be true for us. For those of us who have been knocked down, God, let us get back up knowing who our victor is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.